Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. I want to uh, uh, pick up today where we've been in the past. We're in the book of Galatians, so welcome to our 11 o'clock service. Uh, we'll be teaching today where Pastor Hal dropped, uh, stopped last week. We'll be in Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. And the title of my verse today is The Blessings uh, of Abraham. The Blessings of Abraham. And, and you'll find that it's, it's interesting. You know, just this last week, I had the opportunity uh, to go with, uh, with some of my friends uh, back to a, uh, it, was a, it was a birthday. It was a birthday of one of my friends. It was one of those significant birthdays. They have significant birthdays with the zeros at the end. I'm going to tell you which one it was, but I was surprised that we're at that, that stage of life. So, so I went back, and it was really his family gathering. There was three, 400 people there from his family. I mean, it's a, it was a big party. It's a pretty wealthy guy, so he did it upright. We had like 15 minutes of, of fireworks at the end on July 3rd. So you can imagine, okay? But it was, it was very nice. It was a lot of fun. But, but, but seven or eight of us that had graduated together, or at least gone to school together, decided that it would, we'd take the opportunity to try to get together at this, at this party. And it, it, it's interesting. It's... Um, one of the things that I, I learned, in fact, there were two things that I, that, that I took away from it. You know, these um, uh, two things, these men that I was with, we, I lived together with them. I joined a fraternity. Now, some of you may have joined fraternities as sororities. Some of you just seen Animal House, and that's your impression of it. <laughs> Our house was not that bad. But, but I can tell you this, is that we, we had breakfast together, we had lunch together, and we typically had dinner together for four years. We, we lived together. So we, we know each other. So as soon as we got back together, even though some of them I hadn't seen for maybe 15 or 20 years, we immediately had, had everything in common. We, we immediately were able to, to pick up where we had left off. And, and there are two things that I took away from this little weekend gathering, and they're in your, in your bulletin as well. And the two things were, were um, that embracing the past helps define the present. Embracing your past helps define your present because that's where you came from. You see, there's, when I was with those guys, there was, there was no uh, fibbing. There was no pretending of who we were because they, they knew exactly who I was. Now, they were surprised, as I was, that I ended up being a pastor because that really wasn't on the list when I was going to school. I was a, a business major, first a PE major and then a business major, but I, that wasn't on the, the docket. Uh, but your past helps define the, the, the present. You know, there's a popular saying, it was made popular by, by Dr. John Maxwell. John, Dr. John Maxwell is an author. You may know him by, by some of his leadership books. He was our teaching pastor, so I got to know Dr. John pretty well. And he said this, he said, we are not only make decisions, but we are made by them. Our decisions make us. Every one of us, where we are today as a result of the decisions we made as recently as, as yesterday. You know, this is, the way, this is the way that we say that our past embraces, uh, defines the present. We can't escape our past. And at the same time, we continue to make decisions. I mean, I continue to make a lot of decisions. We continue to, to make decisions. And here's the thing. Uh, your past doesn't define your, your future. 
And that's the good thing, you see? And this is evident in the lives of these men that I met with this last weekend. Uh, while we shared a common experience and had, had the same experiences, we all uniquely are individuals. And who we are today is a result of the decisions that we continue to make. And this is the second takeaway I took from this weekend. I was thinking about our sermon. And the second takeaway was that there's one decision, one decision that has the greatest impact on the future. And you can imagine what I'm going to tell you it is. Because my wife and I, after we were married and we, I finished my graduate work, um, and we started having kids, we went back to church, and guess what? We made Jesus the Lord of our life. We were born again. And, and that was a significant decision. I, we understood who, who Jesus was, that he had died on the cross for not only our sins, but the sins of the world, that he rose on the third day, and that he's coming back again. And, and when we embraced that, we became a new creation. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And you see, this scripture uniquely links the past to the present. It's exactly what I was discovering this last weekend. At some time in the past, I believe that Jesus was Lord, that he died on this Roman cross. I, I became a new creation in Christ. And that affects not only who I am today, but it affects our future as well. And that's the same for that many of you can say as well. There was a time when you understood who Jesus was. And as a result, it affects who you are today as well as your future. And I can tell you as your pastor that it's a, a glorious future. So we're going to turn to our text today in just a few minutes. We're going to be talking about the blessings of Abraham, and I'll be reading uh, chapters, uh, chapter 3, verses 15 through 18. But I want to bring you up to date for those of you that maybe have missed the last couple weeks. Uh, Paul, remember in chapter 3, continued to make the case that it was in Christ that we've been justified. It's not by the works of the law, but it's because of our relationship with, with Jesus Christ. And in Galatia, there was a group of both Jews as well as Gentiles that had come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. The long-awaited Messiah of Jerusalem was found in Jesus Christ, and they, they started off believing that Jesus was the Christ. But at the same time, there was a group of false teachers known as Judaizers that came in, and they started telling them that you started off with faith, and that's great, but you've got to add the law to it. And, and, and Paul... Paul was, was beside himself. Uh, Paul called them foolish, okay? Now, in some of your translations, it says he called them idiots, but there's a big difference between the word idiot and the word foolishness because idiot means that you don't have the capacity to understand something. That's an idiot, okay? Foolishness means that you understand, but you've chosen poorly. See, foolishness is the opposite of, of wisdom, they were wise to understand that Jesus was the beginning and end of their salvation, but they were foolish because they believed the, the Judaizers. Um, Paul said that they were bewitched. Remember I talked about the evil eye, right? The, the idea is that they were bewitched. It was almost like a spell was putting on them. And Paul said, what happened to you? You started off so well, but, but you've become fools. You know, last week, we record all of our sermons. We're recording our sermon today. And, and last week, uh, Pastor Howe was giving a little bit of a sermon, and he, he basically was, was, was talking about the same type of thing, the, the curse, that we're under a curse. And I, and I love the example that he gave. 
because he had a, a practical experience, a practical example from his own experience. You see, when he was a young man, he stumbled into a church like many of us did. It was a charismatic, a Pentecostal church, and he was talking about that they knew how to do worship well, right? They had tambourines, and they were getting into the worship, and he came to Christ, just as many of us does. We, he made that decision to follow Jesus Christ. He was going to put his trust in Jesus, and it changed his life. He became a, a new creation, just what 2 Corinthians was talking about, a new creation in Christ, something that never existed before. But then there were people in that local church, like these Judaizers, that said, oh, that's a good start, but you've got to add things to it. You see, what did he say? He said, you're not supposed to play cards, you know, you're not supposed to dance, and you're not supposed to see movies. Now, he even said that, that was crazy, crazy talk, because what has that got to do with religion? And the movies that they said you couldn't go see at the movie theater, they were watching on their TV late at night anyway. So he called them foolish. See, he made the right decision. But this is why this sermon preaches so well today. This is why we teach out of Galatians, is because this happens to us today. We understand who Jesus is because it's what he did on the cross. It's all the things that he's already accomplished. But then what happens is we feel that we have to add to that. Now, we don't add the law to it, the actual law. We don't become circumcised or decide that we're going to only go to church on Saturdays, observe the Sabbath, or attend all of the festivals, the feast days of Israel. But we do the same types of things that uh, Pastor Hal's church friends were telling him. It might not be cards or dancing, but it's other things, other things that you're told to do. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. It's not, we're not talking about holiness. Holiness is a reflection of Jesus in you. It's, it's understanding that you're changing the world and people see you as acting a little bit different. Now, those things don't make you holy. You're acting as a response of who Christ is in you. You're influencing the world because of the way you act. We, we dress appropriately. We talk appropriately. That's, that's the holiness. That's how holiness is defined. Not by the movies you watch, or whether you're drinking wine at home uh, with your dinner. That's, that's not, nothing to do with it. So let's go into chapter uh, 3, verse, starting with this, verse 15, and we'll, uh, we'll get into the scriptures today. Paul says this, he says, Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it, if only, it is only a man's covenant, yet it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. But this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Now, see, the Judaizers argued that because the law came into effect 430 years after Abraham, because it came after, it was added to. It was added to what Abraham had to do, and the Jews had to follow this because it was added afterwards. And Paul's kind of saying, he says this, even if they agree to that, they have to understand what we're talking about is a, a covenant. Now, we don't have a lot of examples of covenants anymore. I mean, I could use the, the example of a marriage, of a marriage covenant, because a marriage is supposed to be between a man and a woman, you know, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. It's between a, Adam, it's between a man and a woman, okay? 
And, and they're married, and they're supposed to be married for life, till death do they part. Now, unfortunately, even within the church, we've, we've just experienced so much divorce that it's difficult to understand a covenant that way. The better way of understanding a covenant is what Paul talks about, which is a last will and testament. Okay? Everybody understand what a last will and testament is? Of course we do, right? I remember my dad, this was probably 20 years ago, uh, sat me down. I was visiting with my dad, and he wanted to show me um, his, his will. He wanted to show me, and he had a thing, some, some of you knew my dad, and, and my dad had what he called the just-in-case, okay? It was his briefcase back when he worked for the auto company, okay? It still had his name on it, and he called it his just-in-case, okay? And all of his official documents were in there, including his living will and his, uh, his do not resuscitate and, and some of his tax forms and things like that, the thing that he needed. He, he showed me his just-in-case. Now, here's the thing is all of us understand wills. We understand them very well. My wife watches um, uh, Diagnosis Murder, and she, worked, she watches a lot of these different shows. And, and, and she, what's the one with Jessica Fletcher? Um, uh, Murder, She Wrote, right? Murder, She Wrote. She loves that show. And often in these, these TV shows, they have the reading of the will, right? Somebody dies, and then the attorney's sitting there, and the people gather around, they find out whether they were an heir or an omission, right? An heir or an omission. And, and here's the thing, my, my, one of my friends, one of my fraternity brothers, actually became an estate attorney. And he told me, he said, you know, Ken, nobody does that. They don't have readings of the will. That's, that's just never done. It's something that they do in TV shows. It's, it's rarely ever do they get together to read the will. Most people understand the will, and the, the testator is the one that takes care of it. But here's the thing with the will, we all understand this, is that the person that is writing the will is under no obligation to include or exclude any particular person from the will, right? If that's their decision. But once their decision is made and its will is read because the person has died, it doesn't change. You can't add people back into it, okay? If, 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 one of the, if the, the black sheep of the family was omitted, that's too bad, okay? They're not included. You can't change the will after it's already been executed. And this is what Paul's talking about. He's saying this, this covenant that God made with Abraham was like a, a will. And we understand that. Paul says, speaking in the manner of men or using a human analogy, he compares God's promise to a last will and testament. Last will and testament. And, and as a result, it, it, it cannot be changed. It, it can't be changed. Um, let, let's go on. Verse 16. Paul says, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one and to seed who is Christ. Like I said, I like this verse, and I like it for a couple of reasons. And one of the reasons I like this verse is because who would read this and pick out that seed is singular, right? Not seeds. Who would, who would pick that out? But here's the thing. When we read the New Testament, the New Testament is not a commentary like you can buy at the store. Like you can buy 55 different commentaries on, on the book of Galatians. I mean, I could write a commentary. Anybody can write a commentary. But that's not what the New Testament is. It's not a commentary. It's the revelation of the Old Testament. It is the truth of the Old Testament. The New Testament reveals what the Old Testament has concealed. Paul's saying that the primary recipients of the Abrahamic covenant were Abraham and Christ. Now, this promise is not fully realized yet in the Jews. What we say is that we say that it's realized now, but not yet. It is, but not yet, because it's not yet 
fully realize because there's still more to understand. So if we read this all by itself, who would we to understand that, oh, Ab God was talking about one particular seed, one particular person who happened to be the Messiah. We would never get that unless we read the New Testament. So uh, Jesus told us, Jesus told the apostles that, that they had many questions, that the Holy Spirit would come, that the Holy Spirit would come and be able to answer all of their questions that they would have. And they, remember, it's many of the apostles became the ones that actually wrote the New Testament. For example, in John chapter 16, Jesus says this, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come, things to come. So what we see is this, is that the New Testament uniquely tells us the truth of what the Old Testament wrote about. You can speculate, many people speculate, the scribes and the Pharisees speculated on the writings of the Old Testament, but it was the New Testament that revealed it. For example, you're familiar with this verse. This is Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. I've got what, a student that continues to call it Malachi. And I, and I got to be careful because I find myself thinking of it's Malachi. Okay, it's not Malachi, Malachi, it's Malachi. Malachi chapter 4 says this. He says, Behold, I am coming, I am going to send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, without the New Testament, we would be like the scribes of the Old Testament or even the apostles, believing somehow that Elijah would be like reincarnated, okay? But the, the Bible never talks about reincarnation, never talks about that. Even in Matthew chapter 17, the disciples asked him and said, when, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? You know, they, they understood what the scribes understood, that this, this was a prophecy in Malachi, okay? And they were looking for how Elijah was to, to come first. But Jesus answered, in verse chapter 17, Jesus answered and said to them, Instead, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. And they did not know him, but they did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. And we find, if we continue reading, that he's talking about John the Baptist. That John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. It wasn't a reincarnation, but it was in the spirit of Elijah. And many prophets today, many scholars today, and I'm one of them, believe that we see in the book of Revelation, just prior to the second coming of the Lord, that again we see there's two witnesses in Jerusalem, and one of them comes in the spirit of Elijah. And the reason we believe that is not only the prophecy that he would come, but also what he does. He calls fire down from heaven, just like Elijah did. He's the only prophet that called down Spirit, uh, fire from heaven. So we say this is probably a, a, spirit, a, a prophet in the spirit uh, of Elijah. So, so John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah, and we see that this will happen again. So the Apostle Paul calls particular attention to this word seed as distinguished from seeds. Now, what that means is, is that it's not limited or excluding the blood, those that are blood relatives of Abraham. It doesn't exclude the, the Jews nor does it necessarily include the Jews. The idea is that it's all going to be fulfilled through Christ. For example, we have to understand that, uh, that Abraham, Abraham um, 
was dwelling in the, the, the land in tents. And I've got a verse for you. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9 through 10, it says this. It says, by faith, he, meaning Abraham, dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You know, the scriptures tell us that Abraham never lived in a city. He always lived in tents, and he was always wait. He always knew that he was a stranger, that he was an alien, that God had promised a, a city, a final place for him. And Abraham knew that until that time he was he was a stranger. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 and 23, the Bible says this: it says, But you, meaning us, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. You know, we see from these, these verses, we have this description of the promise that is fulfilled not only in Jesus and the followers of Jesus, but in this new heaven and new earth, this idea of this heavenly Jerusalem. And again, you know me, I'm going to take a look at prophecy. I'm going to take a look at the book of Revelation to find ultimately some of the fulfillment of what we know was promised to Abraham. Remember, my topic today is the blessings of Abraham. Well, let's take a look at the blessings of Abraham. Here's another one in Revelation chapter 21. Jesus says this, he sees, uh, John says this, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. That's the blessings of Abraham. That's the blessings of Abraham that are fulfilled in those who know Christ. Let's go on. Galatians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul says this, he says, And to say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant was confirmed before God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. And see, this is what I mentioned before, that the Jews, the Judaizers, were saying that this, this was added on to the promises. But Paul says no, because this was, a, this was a covenant. And actually, the law is a contract. Now, we gave an example of a covenant, and you probably understand covenants or contracts. The best way to understand contracts is contracts are usually if, then. If you do this, then you get this. If you pay your payments, you get to keep your car, right? I mean, that was my old job, right? If you pay your payments, you get to keep your car. If you don't pay your payments, we come and take your car away, okay? We take your car away. For example, this is what we see in Deuteronomy referring to the law. Deuteronomy chapter law, chapter 11, referring to the law of Moses. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from one way, which I command you today, to go after the gods which you have not known. So this is the idea of a contract. A contract is based on your performance. If you don't perform, you don't get the benefits of the contract. But however, the promises made to Abraham was a covenant. And a covenant is unconditional. 
There's no if then. This is just a, a promise. You're, you're born into the family. Same thing with your children. Your sons and your daughters are your sons and your daughters because who they are, not because of how they cooperate or how well they behave. I mean, your kids can make their bed in the morning or brush their teeth or they can't, but you're still going to love them. They're still your kids. That's an unconditional relationship that you have with them. You know, has, God, has God's promises of Abraham been fulfilled then in Christ? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. The answer is yes and, and not yet. Yes and not yet. I love that saying. God's made promises, also called prophecies, prophecies that have been fulfilled in Christ, but at the same time, many prophecies still remain. Now, one of the prophecies was that God would restore Israel into the land. And many people up to 100 years ago couldn't believe it could ever happen, could ever happen. We saw it happen in 1948. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 8 says this, Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day, or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. This was Isaiah, the last chapter in Isaiah. If you were with us this last week in our Bible study, in the Bible project, we said Isaiah is an amazing book because there's 66 chapters in it. There happens to be 66 books in the Bible. And it just so happens that the first 39 in Isaiah kind of correspond to the Old Testament. The last 27 kind of correspond to the New Testament. And here in chapter 66, which is one of the last chapters in the book of Isaiah, it talks of the restoration of the people of Israel in the land of Israel. Who's ever seen such a thing? But here's the thing, is that this was fulfilled perfectly on May 14th of 1948. Now, are the Jews fouling the Messiah? Not yet. Not yet. They're in the land, but there's still much more to come. Let's go on. Let's finish up verse 18. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Now, see, here's this. There's the thing. In the New Testament, we say the New Testament reveals the secrets of the Old Testament. And remember, in the New Testament, we also see many prophecies that are given. They're promises that are given. They're unconditional because they're prophecies. If God says he's going to do something, he will accomplish it. So, for example, you're familiar, you're familiar at Christmas time. We talk about the angel Gabriel, right, coming to Mary. And she announces, okay, he has this annunciation. He announces to Mary that she's going to conceive. He says, but the angel says this. This is Luke chapter 1. Behold, Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, be called the Son of God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, okay? We read this and we say, praise God, that was Jesus. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That's, that's, that's wonderful. So we see that, but did you know that those are prophecies? There's actually seven prophecies there. Five have been fulfilled. You will conceive, and that's number one. You'll bring forth a son. You'll call his name Jesus. He'll be great. That's number four. Number five, he will be called the son of the most high. That's been fulfilled in Jesus, but there's still two more to come. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, which is Israel, forever. The, that, that's the reason actually for the coming tribulation. That's the, the reason for the book of Revelation. It's basically to, to bring it all together. All of these promises, all of these blessings of God that were in Abraham are going to come to fulfillment. And we're going to see that all happen as we go through the, the book of Revelation. And that will come to pass.
So all we have left now is the purpose of the law, right? What is the purpose of the law? Well, you have to stay tuned. We'll talk about that next week. So that's the blessings of Israel. The blessings of Abraham are found in Jesus Christ in the presence of all of us. For those of us that know who Jesus is, and it's a promise that is now and still to come. It defines our future. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we want You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.